If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. Uh, hope everyone had a great weekend. Uh, there's some decent hockey news, some things to talk about, but we're going to start with in the world of music. Uh, Russ went to a concert that I'm going to be going to later on this week in Toronto, uh, ELO, and we had the anniversary of Live Aid. And we, we talked about this before, Russ, but let's start with the ELO. How was the show? ELO was great. It, it was something where I had an ELO 8-track back in the day. And I played the hell out of that. Like I go in my pool and I had like the portable eight track player and that would be playing with a few others. And, and so it, it brought me back to that. It was one of those things where it was like, I would hear, like I heard the three notes, they teased like the three notes for the song, do ya. And all of a sudden my mind went back to me being like, I don't know, 12 years old, you know? And, and, and but what they did was what ELO did in this tour and and I give the Wells Fargo credit, right? Because they've been they've been redesigning for a while, so their sound is great now compared to yeah, years ago when I saw it. The acoustics were awful before. The acoustics were bad. They were they were legit bad. Now they're really good. Um, but also the way they had the lights and the stage. Now the next day they had the WWE, and it was almost seamless for them because of the way this stage was set up for ELO. But gigantic screens besides the two other screens allowed ELO power to do something that they've wanted to do really since the 70s. Like the spaceship that was always on their albums was like hovering before the show started. And just like a GIF, it would be moving a little to the left, a little to the right, you know, and and some of the effects, if people want to go check out my Facebook page or Instagram, I put up a few of the longer videos, the effects were just unbelievable. And they didn't, you know, they didn't rely on showing like old concert footage photos or anything. They just relied on cool sort of um, high tech and sixties looking s scenes that they had. And the opening is fantastic. I won't ruin it for people, although I did post it online, but the opening is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to ruin the, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to ruin the cliffhanger. No, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> Iron Man dies. Sorry. Hold on. I am not going to say it. If you willingly go and look at the video, that's on you. That's what I'm telling you. Alert. Simple two words, Russ. It's called. Have you ever seen? The movie, have you ever seen the movie Presumed Innocent? His yeah. wife killed her. But I'll say this about Jeff Lynn. He he really is a legend. He for a lot of that show doesn't really show off his guitar chops that much, but as it goes on, he does a little bit. He's got a huge band. There's three cellos, two violins. You know, they're called Electric Light Orchestra, right? But I think for a while, that orchestra part of their music got lost, mm -hmm. probably like in the 80s. I would say that that's probably where it got lost a little. But when you hear the songs and the hits, it's it's really amazing. And they use Lee Pomeroy on, on bass, who, who toured with uh, the Anderson Raven Wakeman guys. Mm -hmm. And just it's just unbelievable. Like, this is one of the best tours you'll see. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I have to say that uh, I mean I've liked Jeff Lynn back before he was in the Traveling Wilburys, back before he had yeah. the association with George Harrison. Play that too, yeah. And the Beatles, so it was it was it it's it's you know I never got a chance to see them back in their heyday, and they're still good now. So, so like unlike some of these other acts that that tour that they're so washed up that it's not even worth the, the, a dollar to, to, to go see them, this is probably a, a concert that is going to be worth the money to go see. Um, talking about uh, looking back in the past, and I, I, we, I started to sort of reflect on this when I saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody last week, finally for the, for the, for, for the first time. And, you know, Russ, you were at Live Aid in Philadelphia. I watched it on TV. I experienced, you know, the Radio Gaga experience of Queen at Wembley live. And I mean, they did as good of it as good as they could in terms of recreating it. But it wasn't it wasn't the it wasn't the original, obviously, when they did the movie. It was good, but it wasn't great. But looking back on Live Aid, it was 34 years, I believe, that yeah. um well, I, let's just say this. Um, other than Queen, because I think everybody has firmly established that Queen ruled the roost. They, you know, they came into that, you know, as the movie sort of illustrated. You know, uh, I, I don't remember them breaking up like they said in the movie. I think that was made more more for, for dramatic. We didn't have a formal breakup. Let's put it that way. Right? They they were they were sort. Of, I mean, they had. Uh, after like the game, they had a couple really bad albums. The Flash Gordon album, the 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 the, the soundtrack to the movie One Vision with Jason Gedrick and Louis Gossett Jr., which was a bad Top Gun remake uh, or Top Gun copy. Um, then Iron Eagle, right? Those two were Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle. The song was one. The song was One Vision. The movie was Iron Eagle. Yeah. Right. Um, after that, Live Aid gave basically gave them a rebirth. And they right. they were great until Freddie Freddie passed away. Um, but there were other bands that really made their mark at Live Aid. Yeah, there a couple things. So I had gotten tickets for that simply because I was working in retail, and the guy who I was working with, we literally just hired this new guy, and we were both working a night shift. And the guy goes, "Yeah, doesn't look like I can go to Live Aid. My mother won't let me." No joke. And you know he's probably like, yeah, he's probably like eighteen or twenty years old. I'm probably what was it? Yeah, I was right around that age too. And so I said, well, if you're not going to use the tickets, I'll buy them from you. And he goes, okay. So I buy the tickets, right? And and so we had a caravan of people that worked in the stores drive from Long Island to Philly. So we left at like I want to say three in the morning. We weren't drinking or anything, but. There was a guy there who was really smart. He stopped off at a bagel shop and he literally filled a trash bag full of bagels. Like he probably bought like 50 or hundred dollars worth of bagels. During that trip, he was throwing bagels into our car as we got hungry, whatever. We followed each other. We get to Philly. We walk in there. It's 6 a.m. They start the Wembley stuff. So we're watching it at RFK on the big screen. They had a big screen there. It was the first time anything was ever simulcast like that where we could see what was going on in Wembley, even though we're in Philly, right? So that was fun. Then in Philly, they had a lot of great acts. And, you know, locally, the Hooters obviously were got massive from that, yeah. locally. Mike will always scoff at that, but it's really true. I mean, they did. They were big here. They were huge. They were big. They were big. And were big I thought there were some big headline acts that 
Like the Thompson Twins were not one of my favorite bands, right? But they got pretty popular. Go. I put up a video though. They played with Nile Rodgers and Madonna, and they did Revolution by the Beatles. Like that was tremendous. Yeah. A lot of the compilations that we saw were tremendous. I hate Hall and Oaks, but they were great with the Temptations. Right. Because they were like they were home too. The thing is, they they you knew they were going to put a lot into that show because they were they, they were home. Yeah. And so they were just unbelievable. Like that that was great. Uh, Thoroughgood was great. Nobody will ever give him credit, but none of those are the mega ones that, that, that Mike's talking about, but CSNY actually had a massive impact because I think that's the last time they ever played together. You might, you might be right. And they, they basically, the way it worked out was nobody really knew for sure if they were going to play together because they didn't like each other for whatever reason, you know, and, and when they put out the chairs on the stage and that's all they put out, then everybody kind of knew they were going to play. Yeah. And even though I'm not the biggest fan, that was a huge moment. It was. Yeah, but at, but at Wembley, I mean, besides Queen, I mean, you <clears throat> 2 Yeah. Um, especially because I, wa- I watched it a couple a couple days. I went before. to the bathroom during you 2 I've told you that. I, I, I know. I but but the, the, funny thing was, the funny thing was is that uh, besides your bathroom break, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the thing that was – poignant about you too was Bono jumping off the stage and saving like three or four girls from being crushed by the surging crowd. He pulled them into the, into the, uh, the, the, the pit and not an orchestra pit, but they had a buffer between that and the stage and um, pulled them out cause they were getting crushed. Yeah. And you know, and the band, they were playing the song, I think it was bad. Yeah, they, they played bad. I know they played and, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah, and and they and and uh, the Edge and and the, the bass player and the drummer were they were lost because Bono was supposed to continue the song, so they just kept playing the same riff over and over for like four minutes while he's getting back on stage, and then it, ba- it basically it built the tension because then everybody then he jumped yeah. back on stage, and you know, so they they were great. Uh, Clapton was phenomenal. Yeah, Clapton was a big deal because, and Clapton, that was in Philly, I think, for Clapton. Yeah, it was. And yeah. that was a big deal because previously on tour, look, he was, you know, he was he had drug problems and all these other things. He wasn't even playing lead guitar anymore for a while. Right. On his own tours, it was that bad for him. So when he played there and he was sober, and he was able to play White Room and really play the lead like that, like you hadn't heard it in 20 years. Right. That was a big moment. Yeah. And Bowie and yeah, Bowie was great. Yeah. So I mean it, Mick Jagger, I say, Mick Jagger with Tina Turner was fantastic. Like that was another thing where Mick Jagger sort of stood out because he was there as his own entity. He, you know, the Rolling Stones weren't there. And you know, I mean, everybody knows I'm I'm big, I'm I'm a big Phil Collins fan because of Genesis. And you know, the funny thing is, he did he wrote a book a couple years ago, and he talked about you know the the Led Zeppelin experience. And he also said, you know, if I knew you in the '80s or '90s, and if I was like too out there and too present, I apologize because. And at Live Aid, it was like it was the Phil Collins show. He would play. He went to yeah. London. He played with Sting. He he did his own songs. Then he did In the Air Tonight on piano in in Philadelphia. He flew the yeah. Concord, and then he played with Zeppelin. I mean, he was all over. And at a certain point, even for somebody who who loved him as a, as a performer, I'm like, okay, Phil, enough. 
We don't need you anymore. There's yeah, it was great though. It was it was a cool moment. We had never seen anybody jet across the country like that to get from one show to another. Uh, good timing. You know, that was a big high tech thing. And for all the people that want to rip Zeppelin, like here's the way it worked out. A lot of this is what you won't see on film because you could you can get the DVD set. It's fantastic, and I've done that. When Robert Plant walked out on stage, he literally had a giant songbook like this and dropped it at his feet. Right. Like he made no bones about it, which is basically to tell the audience, hey, I haven't done these songs in a while. Yeah, seven, I need, seven, I need, six, seven years since that. Yeah, I need the words in front of me. And he was using this toe to, to turn the pages. So there was that. With Phil Collins, I think they just used Phil Collins because they knew he was going to be there. And guys were just sitting in on other bands. Tony Thompson sat in on them too. Well, Col I, I watched an interview about Live Aid and, and, and Collins, like I said, did a book a couple years ago. And he said they never practiced. He walked in right. and, and Jimmy Page says, you know how Stairway to Heaven goes? And he's like, yeah. And he was like, boom, boom. He said, no, no, no. And like at that point he knew he was in trouble because they had a, an idea of what they wanted him to do. And he – had listened just to the record yeah. and it was going to be different and it just turned out not to be bad. And the band thought it was bad. And Collins was a little defensive because it's like, you know, Hey, I, I can do anything, but give me a little, give me a little. Right. Yeah. And that would be the one negative of live aid is yeah. Everybody sat in with everybody. So if you did want to sort of change it, you know, you had a problem to the fans like me listening to it. It was still pretty great. Jimmy yeah. Page was great. Plant sounded good. Was the drumming perfect? No, but you know, at that point in the crowd, to be really honest, yeah, I didn't start drinking until the sun went down, right? So because it was like a ninety-something degree day, yeah. I was I was living on snow cones and and cherry coke. That's what I was living on to sort of survive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so at that point of the show, I'm not sure I would have noticed if there was a great difference with that. And the weird thing to end up that show is I ended up sleeping in the parking lot of the Hilton hotel, right outside the, uh, Robo you. in my car, in my car, Robo cop. and seven to 10 years later, I was working in that hotel, helping them run it when it was a holiday in. Like that was a weird little thing. And you know where I started from? I was in sleeping in the parking lot, and now I run the thing. And the, and the hypocrisy, Anthony, is that when he when he worked there, he called the cops to arrest people who were sleeping in the in the parking oh! lot. <laughs> I did. You know what? You know what we did that? We had to do that for the Grateful Dead concerts. We did. When you had a Grateful Dead concert at that hotel. Not oh, only were guys just sleeping on the lawn or anywhere, they were unruly, man. Dead people, I swear. I still remember, story I still remember. I'm, I'm living in South Philadelphia. There was a dead concert that was going on. I think it was at the Spectrum. I'm cross. I went to a, I went to a seven. It was at a, with, my, with my little brother. He was pretty young at that point. We went over to seven. I think it's Slurpees or something. You know, your typical lady stuff. Yeah. And this car flies down Broad Street. And I mean, it's blowing through red lights and everything. It, all of a sudden, he's looking, at, and this one guy's got his head out the window, and he look. His face looks demonic. That's the only way to describe. He looked like you know Ozzy out of bad. You know, it looks like he looked like like straight up like Ozzy on like three sheets of the wind. Hey man, they who's little stop crying. You know, the whole way home, and I'm trying to explain to that what happened. What happened? I said, and I was like, and then I found out there was a dead. There was a dead. And my dad, said, oh, there's a dead concert down at the, at the Spectrum. No wonder he probably. 
you probably own God knows what. So whenever I think of the dead, I always think of this. Yeah, I mean, if these people weren't sleeping on the furniture in the hotel and wouldn't leave or sleeping on the lawn and wouldn't leave, we wouldn't have called the cops. But the idea was I slept in my car for like three hours and left. These people weren't leaving. Uh, there, there must have been a dead can concert in Vancouver because they smelled an awful lot of ganja. Uh, okay. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, July 15th, 2019. I'm Anthony Majay from Center Ice Philly Magazine. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Cherry Garcia, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. The dead didn't play Live Aid, didn't they? No. I don't think so. Um, but by the way, one just one further note, the, the most embarrassing thing was Paul McCartney doing uh, Let It Be and the microphone not working for half the song. Nobody could hear him. Nobody could hear him sing. I remember that. I was like 10 years old, but I remember that. Like, that. what's wrong with this? With, 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 yeah, they fixed it after on the, uh, on the DVD set. You're right about that. You know what we did leave out, too? Um, Elton John and George Michael was fantastic when yeah. they sung don't, don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. That was a big moment, too. Did they, do, did they do that then? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was unbelievable. George Michael was unbelievable. Yeah, he had a great voice. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Okay. Um, some some uh, signings in the league. We'll take some questions at the end of the show, but we'll talk about some signings and some news around the league. Uh, we didn't do a show on Friday, and on I believe it was on Friday at uh, – the contract was announced of Ryan Dezingle for two years at a rather economical $3.375 million per on a two-year deal. Um, Russ, this is right up the alley of the cheapskate Thomas Dundon. Yeah. Um, they, got the, they got him at the price they wanted him, so that's fine. He's a good player. He's a really good player. As we talked about, he's going to probably score 20-something goals. Whether he plays center or not now seems to be in question. He may end up playing wing for them. But either way, though, they got a bargain. Now, the part that irks me from the Zingle standpoint is that contract is not lockout proof. And he's he could walk straight into a lockout from that deal right. or sort of getting lowballed on the deal and not have any real protection. And you feel bad for that. But yeah. maybe that's what the market bared, I guess. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was about to say, Russ. I think in many ways it's based, it, it's late, it's – you know, you get into the dog days right now, and if you're yeah. trying to get a contract done and you can't quite take that risk in this circumstance, you go for the money in this circumstance, and I, you, 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 whatever other things that could be in there, you don't necessarily worry about. He may look at it and say it's not necessarily a bad thing. He spends a couple years there and then goes, and then if he ends up in Seattle, he ends up in Seattle as, as part of a potential leadership group there. Now, Mike, one thing I would say here, while I'm no huge fan of Tom Dundon, had another team like one of the – Northeast Carter teams made this contract. Would you? You would have possibly trumped this stuff up. And said, this is a good economical move. Instead, we get the cheapskate Tom Dundon. Dun, dun, dun. Never let it be. Never let it be. Oh, stop. That's what never, I just did. Never let it be said that I pass up an opportunity to jab somebody. There. It just feed, come on, Anthony. It just feeds into the narrative. I mean, they're oh, feed into the narrative. It's like keep going, keep going. Keep yeah, it's, like, more. it's like putting coal in the uh, the engine of the Titanic. That's what it is. <laughs> As I'm reshuffling reshuffling the deck chair. Like, in, in all fairness, I do like the fit of Zingle there. I think yeah. the style of play of Carolina. I think it's a good. I'll, I'll be the guy to say this. I think it's a good economical signing. Good for them again that they are not on the you know that he, he would be a prime, you know, uh, 
expansion target. Yeah. So they get a couple good years out of Dingle, and then they'll see where they go from there. There's the question on it, though. The question is, is this contract basically replacing Justin Williams because they already have an idea? No, they've got plenty. I checked the cap. They, they're, they're they're currently at, at after that contract. I wasn't sure because I thought they were lower than this. Yeah, they're at seven according to cap friendly. Now again, you know they're pretty close cap friendly, but it's never 100 percent exact. Um, there's a little over seven million in cap space left. So if they want to, oh, I don't mean money wise. I mean budget, budget wise, budget, I mean, budget wise, wise, and player wise. Probably if he wants, I think honestly at this point now, I think Williams' intention is either to stay there, take what he gets, or or or. Play the team, I'm saying I think the team is sort of thinking he might not be back, and that's why they went and got. Well, no, it's a possibility, and that, that's again. Okay. I, yeah. I'm a, I don't, yeah, I agree. Not from a budgetary standpoint. No, 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 no. What role are we going to put you in? Yeah, in this circumstance. So that, in that respect, yeah, that 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 will be the one question mark here. But I don't. I, I was worried about budgetary initially. I read yeah. it wrong, thinking it was closer to four mil, and then I was like, no, 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 it's still at seven mil. So they got Mike, space. Mike, there's something brewing in the chat room here regarding the Flyers. So when we get to the Flyers, let me know and I'll bring it up. Well, let's bring it up now then, because go. All right, on. all right, go. So Chris McCarthy saying. According to Al Morganti, and that's what I'm going to just say it like that. All right. Chuck Fletcher feels that they have young forwards chomping at, I guess, Konechny's heels, and they could replace him if the contract demand doesn't pan out. All right. Here's what I would say about that. Right. If that is indeed true, they're sadly mistaken because Konechny has got a sandpaper to his game that none of anybody else in their system does, except for Radcliffe, who would play a completely different role. So I would completely disagree with that statement if he actually said it. Well, okay. let's, let's, let's extrapolate from that, Anthony. Mm -hmm. If that statement is accurate, that Chuck Fletcher believes that there are young forwards that could replace, that are snapping at the heels of Konechny, who is he talking about? Is he talking Morgan Frost? Is he talking Radcliffe? Who is he talking about? I would have to think it would be somebody maybe a little further up the road. Ah, it's tough. It's probably Fabro. Probably Fabro. Fabro. Not Fabro, um, Farabee, sorry. Farabee, that's, again, far too soon. That's, that's, to, to I, me, I'm just thinking that's to me this sounds like your typical, look at, there, there's a little bit of a gap, and this sounds yeah. to me like, quite frankly, where there's a little negotiation going on in the media here yeah. prior to a contract being signed between the two sides. That's what it reads to me. The yeah. problem with Philadelphia is that, they're in a position right now where they're at eight defensemen right now in system. So everybody, it, and I, that's the question I got this weekend. All oh, Flyers have to move off a of defenseman. Well, this was a discussion we had last week, Russ, right? Where we have they have to be prepared for the possibility of an Ivan Provorov holdout, so you don't have to pull anybody from Lehigh Valley. Right now, from the Konechny point of view, Konechny has hander because again, if you look at the right side of the Flyers lineup, you look at their right wing situation. It's Jake Voracek. <laughs> you're going to try to plug in two at the moment, two young players into that lineup to move out. And, and then you're moving out. Connect me. No, it's yeah. this to me is there. There's a little bit of a gap. And the indications that I had that we had last week was the fact that things they were positive. Fletcher described as being positive conversations when he was asked about connect me uh, in terms of where they were going. So, to me, this sounds like there's a little bit of, of a little bit of a gap here that they're going to try to come to. My anticipation is, I, I, I would anticipate Konechny likely gets signed. Number one, he's a good five-on-five -five player. Yeah. That's something we're taking into account here. He's rounding into his own very quickly. It's just 
probably what Konechny's asking for is a, is a, is a, a little above their comfort zone, and they got to try to bring this thing down to an area where it works. To me, though, Frost, mm, not yet. Uh, we need to see how things go. Farabee definitely need going to need going to need time on the phantoms i think unless i think really think Farabee's ahead of him though and that's the impression i got in camp when i was watching the interview ahead of frost ahead of frost because, oh, I would say so because, of that, because of the fit at the wing position too right. with the frost it was right. a center i would right. absolutely agree with that that being said um i'm not inclined to say immediately until we get to a rookie camp or, or training camp to say i'm comfortable with saying yeah we're gonna we're gonna oh, play i agree so I think this is this just sounds to me like a little negotiating through the media, a little negotiation through the media. There's a gap between the two sides, and that I think Konechny will likely um, will likely get signed in this. Or maybe, or maybe this is what Morgani thinks, and he morphed it into the Fletcher thing. But my point thing, again, I have to hear the radio con. If, it, if right. it's phrased as you just as it, as it said, that's how I read it. Yeah, and and but here's the the sad part about that. While we like Frost, he's never going to have a jerk aspect in his game like Pro, like like Connecty does. That's really yeah. good. Farabee doesn't either, and mm -hmm. Ratcliffe is a power forward, so it's a completely different role. Like I said, there is nobody to replace him. Yeah. So, or you're t or you can say there's somebody to replace him, but you're taking a much more major dice role here, right. anticipating one of those guys already which really well, kind of goes counterbalance to most of the stuff we've heard from their camp with regard to most of their young players do you think that this is a push toward getting connecting to take a bridge rather because you know, oh, you know yeah. it could be that's it could be long-term versus bridge it could be the amount of money in the gap in between right this to me if it is as russ presented it from the person in the chat room saying what al said again we're getting this third hand without yeah, hearing yeah. To me, this is, it would read, if you look at it just on the face of it, is that this is a little bit of a negotiating point, um, that there, there's a gap there and that they're having a discussion that getting the people's ear about. I mean, let's let's put it this way. I saw on NHL.com today and that it said, well, negotiation, Fletcher's having really good ongoing negotiations with both those guys, right? But it was a little too flowery of a headline. Uh, I, would, I would, based on what I have is, I think the, the, the there, there's positive talks with Konechny. Right. And it's very much, a, and we may say, I, I think it's a cordial talk. A, when we say positive in, in, in Provorov's case, it's there's no sort of rancor right now. They're just waiting on, again, it's just now a, a massive wait and see because of right. McAvoy and Wierenski, the, the likely comparables being out there for Provorov. The, you, and I guess what I'm basically trying to say here, and it's really not Fletcher's fault, it would have been a really good feather in the cap if Fletcher would have had Provorov signed by now because yeah. Hemphill couldn't do it either, but well, neither got, was able to do it. You got to get – you got you have to get – It's it takes two to tango on this. Yeah. You have to have the player also willing to do it. Yeah. And I don't blame Ivan for waiting and, and seeing how things shake out, which is why I said over the weekend – the Flyers are in no rush to move off one of their defenses. They're like, oh, well, then move Hague, right. move one around. I'm like, yeah, they well, you're it. getting what? Minimal return. And then if you have a holdout and you got to bring up a defenseman from the fans who may or may not, you know, be quite on that level just yet, yeah. you're putting yourself in a spot that you don't need to be in. There's no rush at this point for anybody involved. So it's it's going to be at loggerheads, I think, for a bit here. Yeah. Now, um, the Stanley Cup champion Blues were extremely busy this weekend getting – uh, 
goaltender Jordan Bennington locked up on a two-year deal, also signing Robbie Fabry to a one-year deal. Let's talk about Bennington, Russ. Uh, $4.4 million on a two-year deal. Uh, I believe it walks him to unrestricted free agency at age yeah. 28. Um, if he follows up the great half season with a couple good years, he sets him up, sets himself up for a big payday in free agency. I just look at their their depth chart now, especially in goal. You have Bennington and you have Jake Allen basically making the same salary. Yeah. I would assume that Bennington's going to be the number one and Allen's going to take a little bit of yeah. a back step to him and it would be like a 50-30 breakdown in terms of games. I just have a problem with the back, paying your backup almost as well, much. like a Brian Elliott situation, huh? Right. It is. It is. Now, <laughs> they started with Allen as the starter and, and the contract has run through. I don't have a problem with this one, Mike, simply because Allen has looked good as a backup because he really is – a 1A, like that's what he really is. So in that role, it's okay. Would I pay him this much if he were a UFA? No. Right. But they're having to do what they have to do. This is a perfect contract, though, because, again, the same way that we looked at the head coaching contract, I'm looking at Bennington's contract. Right. He still has to prove himself, but they gave him a really good wage, a very competitive goaltending wage, a little bit more than the actual backups make but less than a star number one. And that's fair. And so for like 4.4 for, for those two years is good. So literally Barube and, and Bennington will like be able to prove themselves again on this team and either get better deals somewhere else or just get better deals from St. Louis. And I'm sure the deal, the idea is to get better deals from St. Louis. So I think it's a positive. Now Fabry, there was a lot of talk about Fabry being traded at the draft or before yeah. the draft or after the draft, and they signed him for one year, 900000 and he's still under their control. I have a feeling maybe this is a signing to get him closer to expansion, so he might be the guy that they expose. Um, injuries have killed this guy, but he's got a lot of talent, Russ. I'm just surprised that it's gone the way it's gone for him in his career. Yeah, it's interesting with Robbie Fabry because if, if I'm going to be completely honest, when I watched him – at the uh, Memorial Cup, I thought he was a terrific offensive player, and I saw no defense whatsoever. Right. When he was sort of getting his quick rise to the NHL, I was a little surprised because I, you know, I didn't realize that they would do that with somebody who was just that offensive but didn't have his game rounded out. They did it. He looked good, but he's gotten banged up since then, and so now you probably never had a guy who was going to be well-rounded and he's been banged up. If you look at what Fabry, you know, should be like a 50 point guy in the league to get him still on a $900,000 deal just shows how badly off course his career is right now. But this could be one of the better bargains of the year. If he comes in healthy and does play the way he should play. Yeah. Um, Anthony, any thoughts on Fabry? Fabry's, Career path appears to be getting coming a lot, a lot along the lines of Brandon Peary. I think it's a very similar track here, where he's going to be, or potentially like a Sam, maybe high end like a Sam Gagne at, mm -hmm. at high end, where he's going to be very much a specialist mm -hmm. um, that will have utility and use for teams. Certainly, a team like St. Louis, they can certainly figure it out. But I think that's the way his career track seems to be going. To me. These will be the type of deals they'll probably get, unless you know we see a massive change in his overall game. Mm -hmm. 
Um, curious, I know that there's, there was some commentary about the Vancouver Canucks and how they've been spending sort of willy-nilly the last few weeks. Um, you know, just to cover it, uh, they traded for JT Miller uh, at the draft. He's making five and a quarter million for the, another four years. Uh, they signed Michael Furland to a four-year deal, $3.5 million. They signed Tyler Myers uh, for a five-year deal at $6 million and re-signed Alex Edler. Um, now they're about $5 million under the cap and they still have Brock Besser to re-sign. And some people are saying, well, okay, now they really don't have the room to re-sign Besser unless they move out a Louis Erickson or a Brandon Sutter or a Chris Tanev. Russ, they sort of painted themselves into a corner a little bit. Yeah, they have painted themselves into a corner a little bit, but I mean, I don't know what to make of the team as far as what their, what their direction. Like, I don't know. The direction is to make a playoffs because they traded their first round pick for next year. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's fair. It's an interesting scenario in terms of the direction, again, that they're going, um, how they're going to incorporate these. Now, we know Furlan was also assigning to cover for the fact that Antoine Roussel is going to be out for a bit with an injury. Right. So, anyways, so then I guess they look at having sandpaper on multiple lines. Yeah. They do have. I guess the one area where I could say is there's a little bit more of an abrasive quality to their to their forward unit, a little more physicality potentially from their back end. Yeah. They have some protections here for Elias Pettersson. They got to figure things out here with as again, they do have to figure things out with Besser because the yeah. two of them, Besser and and Pettersson are their meal ticket offensively. Right. Yeah. If things break correctly, it could be they, they could be a playoff team. Um, it's tough out west to say that for for certain. Um, I just, I couldn't see them being any higher than eighth though. I just right. It, it's a backdoor. Yeah, it's 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 in many ways they're kind of like the Flyers in the fact that they they appear to be a backdoor entry team in terms of yeah. trying to figure out what exact direction that they're going. And I, I find it find it hard to believe that they're going to find homes for Louis Erickson, especially because the six million dollar salary for three more years is a disaster. But Brandon Sutter, I think, has a year left in his contract. No, two years at four. 4.375. Tanev is another year at 4.45. Nobody's taking big salaries unless unless they make it worth their while in terms of including a draft pick for, or a prospect to, to as a sweetener. So, I mean, you know, I know that Roussel would be available to go on LTIR, but I just I look at their breakdown and I say, okay, there's not a lot of room, a lot of wiggle room here, and I don't know. I think they're better than they were, but I don't know how much better they are. So they're a little better. I mean, yeah. they're, yeah, they're a little better, but how much better? I mean, I have, with the moves that they've made, are they a playoff team? Are I mean, they Quinn Hughes to the mix too? We'll see what he can do this year. I think on their back line, if he can really give them, you know, that offensive burst from the back end, that could really go a long way, especially if they're going to try to play a bit more of a four, high four check system. And you really want to get the puck up as quickly as possible in transition that could help. Um, how those players are going to be incorporated and used, um, their potential. I know there's there, there's definitely they made some moves in their analytics department as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so how they're going to incorporate a bit more data because I know Vancouver has been always been a knock on the Canucks as being sort of a bit over you know a little too much to the other end of things in terms of their um, leaning too much in one direction, having maybe a little bit more of a thoughtful approach and how they're going to incorporate and distribute the their players. Um, that'll be something else to keep in mind. I mean, yeah. I could see I, I could see Hughes having a fifty point plus season this mm -hmm. year. 
And yeah. the opportunity on that back line, so yeah. and on the power play, look at the points yeah. that pile up there. Yeah. The interesting thing is, sorry, Mike, I looked up attendance, and they're like 14th in the league, right? They're 95 percent at home, right? So that's where I think some of this is coming from because they should be higher attendance-wise. They should. And the talk is is that they're going to put Hughes with Tyler Myers, which would be really a sort of a strange look because you've got the very small, very small yeah. Hughes and the monstrously big Myers. Uh, a bit of overcompensation there, but um, have to touch on this because it was the talk of uh, the talk of the internet uh, on Friday, and and I wrote about it a couple times. The uh, the Mitch Marner purported offer sheet that didn't happen between the Marner camp and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, Elliot Friedman reported on it, and there's been some talk about uh, Aaron Portsline also uh, 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 expounded on it uh, to the point that the Blue Jackets were very interested in offering an offer sheet, but they were only willing to do it if it was a seven-year offer. Uh, the Marner camp was not interested in anything that lengthy. They're looking for probably four or five years uh, at, at most on an offer sheet. And Portsline and other people have reported that no team out there is offering a offer that would be the amount that the Marner camp is looking for, like I would assume over $10 million on a four or five year deal and risk losing four first round picks. They, right. There are teams willing out, willing there, uh, willing out there that would sign him on a seven year deal. Uh, Friedman referenced the Islanders, and a rumor that they were going to offer basically the equivalent of McDavid's twelve point five million on a seven-year deal, uh, and if that that had been offered, the Leafs probably would not have matched. But I don't see again. Talk right? Yeah, Lou Lamorello is not offering no. an offer sheet for seven years and twelve and a half million. He's opening himself to Matthew Barzell being offer sheeted next year if that oh. happens. All right, yeah, it's just talk. I mean, end of the day. It's all of this is just talk because again, like Portsline pointed out, nobody wants to give Marner what he wants on on that deal and give up all those picks because they know he's going to leave. So, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about nothing. Well, Port Portsline basically said that the Blue Jackets and a number of teams believe that Marner truly does not want to leave Toronto, and that's oh. another, and that's oh. another, that basically all he's doing is using offer sheets to, to help his car. He's exactly. every honestly every little a bit he could get from the Leafs. Right. It it's it just like kind of inching to me. It's like we're inching things along to get it to in an area where Marner feels good about signing the deal. Yeah. If you're asking me, this is how this sort of reads. I I, I think the I, I think I actually think that the compromise will end up being a th like a two or three year bridge, probably three because it, you said lockout protector Russ. Yeah. Um, but the but the problem is is that the Marner camp appears intent to being paid at the level or near the level of Matthews and Tavares. And that's only going to happen if he signs a seven or eight year contract. It's not, you know, he's, the, he's not going to get nine or 10 million on a oh, three year deal. Not a chip in hell. I'll tell you that if I were the GM, if it was me, I would be telling the Marner camp, sign the seven or eight year deal because I'm not going through this again. If you really want this bridge for three years, we'll give it to you. But just know that you're probably not going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf at the end of that bridge or somewhere in the middle of it. Right. Exactly the way I would term it to him because the way this camp is, 
I would not want to deal with this again. And I'm sure the Leafs don't really want to deal with it again right after the term is up. I'm sure of it. The Leafs, the Leafs want this over with. And the one, and the one thing that Portsline wrote about, he says, unless it's an absolutely ridiculous deal, like, like what I just said about the Islanders seven right. times, 12 and a half, the Leafs, everybody believes the Leafs will match anything. Yeah. That, that is put out there. Teams do not want to make an enemy of the Leafs because they have financial resources that they could go back and si- do what uh, you know what St. Louis and Vancouver did a few years ago, signing the other ones RFA. So uh, you know Matthew Barzell, per- prepare yourself for an offer sheet if if Marner gets offer sheeted by the Islanders. So so you know that that sort of example, and that they would go as far as trading William Nylander, who by the way today changed his number from 29 to 88 according to the Leafs PR and says he will uh he will pay for everybody's jersey to be changed at the Leafs uh apparel place to 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 uh, make the change from 29 to 88 first of all i wonder if eric lindros is pissed off second yeah, I was gonna of all, say he wore 88 right yeah so, so, second of all i wonder if 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 uh, william will pay for the new jersey for wherever he gets traded to I mean, I've never heard of a guy going to the lengths of saying that in public about changing all the jerseys and paying for it. It just shows he's overpaid. That's all that shows. He's trying to show good. He, he, yeah. he, he, he's trying to show goodwill towards the towards the Leafs fans. No, he's he's trying to he's trying to recoup his image, Anthony. Yeah. After it was exactly. precisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will say this honestly, unless something changes. I feel like he's going to wait it out, and we're going to hear about a signing like in October. I yeah. just, I think, I think, I think the feeling it's going to happen before camp. I don't. I, I think it'll happen before or at camp because. Russ, I don't. A Marner does not want to go down the Neilander road. If you don't know that, though, you're saying no, that. No, no, I'm, saying, that. I'm saying for I'm saying for PR purposes. I'm saying for what he wants to do with his brand in Toronto, he cannot risk going to the edge or even going over the edge and going into the season and then signing and then playing bad. It will ruin him in well, Toronto. I don't think he'll play bad, but I will say this. I, I think he's already damaged his brand a little bit in Toronto. Just. I I think it's. I think he can recoup from it right now. But if it goes into September and all we're talking about the next two and a half months is Marner, 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 uh, I think I think it will take a hit. Now, other signings and Russ, you wanted to talk about Jack Hughes. He signed his ELC with uh, with the Devils. Yeah, people were asking the other day, "Well, Capo Keiko signed his. Why are they waiting?" It's like because they wanted to have a day at camp to to make a big deal of it. That's why it was never not going to happen. But the two best things that came out of camp probably for the Devils were Jack Hughes showing dominance in camp for, again, these people that thought for some reason that maybe he would not be a great NHLer down the line. And, again, I'm still not going to put the pressure on him saying he's going to win the Calder because a lot of times the best players in the drafts don't win the Calder. It happens. But I still think he's going to be really effective this year. I will tell you there's two things, and, and, and yes, for Boquist, really looks like he can make the team. And that's a big boost for the Devils if he can because that's just another guy who could score. So if the Devils do get any kind of goaltending with Subban, with Simmons, they're going to give teams trouble. They're not going to be easy to play against. And Hughes, even if he's just effective late in games and on the power play, he's going to be a guy that you're going to have to watch out for. But the the bigger thing for, for the Devils here is they're winning fans back. They are selling Hughes jerseys like they're going out of style. 
Right. And that's something where if they would have drafted Kako first, it wouldn't have happened like that. Right. This that's is a guy that Devils fans can get behind because of obvious reasons. He's a, you know, he's he's a kid that is so flashy. Kako is a great player, don't get me wrong, but this guy's just got that he's got that it factor. And if I'm Taylor Hall, yes, I'm signing right now because if he doesn't, this is going to be Jack Hughes' team if Taylor Hall resigns or not. And that, and that's he's that, losing he's losing his grip on the team, honestly. And that's what I was going to ask because now you, if you look at the Devils right now, they have three UFAs. One, one just got there in Wayne Simmons, but I mean, and maybe it's that's a one year thing, and they're just going to let him go back to free agency next year. But if things are successful. Maybe Simmons wants to, you know, stay there, stay yeah. with Subban if this team is, is is on a positive track. Sammy Battenen's contract is up at the end of this year, and they're not strong on defense. He's one of their better defenders. And Hall, and I'm like, I mean, if I'm Ray Shiro, I'm, I'm working on these guys now, or at least, oh, yeah. at least on Hall to get them signed. Yeah, because like I said, it, this will be Hughes' team, Taylor Hall or not, even though he's won an MVP, you know, even though – did he win the MVP? He won the MVP, right? Yeah, he won the yeah. heart. Yeah. Even though he won the heart. Um, just call people on to find that one out, Russ, because I'm sure they would have told you that. <laughs> I know. It just, you know, in my brain, I, I had a momentary struggle there. <laughs> did, but, did Adam Larson win the Norris? Oh, no, not just No. Deal is no. one for one. Sorry, I got it no, out. No, my, my brain knows that um, <laughs> with great certainty. But but the idea is if you, if you look at it, it's like, you know, Hall's best – option is to re-sign with the devils because otherwise a he'll get traded again and b there'll be a market for him but will he ever be able to get in on the ground floor where you maybe are going to be with a top five player in the league i think and i think close to new york like it's a good place to be russ i think the injuries are kill are, are killing his value i mean he, he's got to have this is a prove it year for him and the only team yeah. that's going to pay him long term is new jersey because he's yeah. there and because they they want to they want to provide a support structure around Hughes as as yeah. the as the linchpin franchise guy Anywhere else, it's going to be like Jay. I mean, Jake Gardner has still not been signed. I'm not comparing Jake Gardner to Taylor Hall, but when there are injury questions, it affects the amount of term the teams are willing to offer players. Yeah, like Bardicus one says in the um, chat room, "What's Hall's his next AAV going to come at Panarin's contract?" And I said, "Only if he has a career year. He's not getting paid like that." No, I, I think he's going to end up around Mark Stone and Kucherov around nine right. five. I don't think yeah, it'll be about right. I don't know if he's quite unless he abs, has an absolute explosion this season. Right. Do I see him eclipsing ten? Now we talk about that. So let's say Jack Hughes is all that and a bag of chips and has like a sixty five point season, and Taylor Hall has like ninety points. Is mm -hmm. that a bad scenario then for the Devils if they don't get Hall locked up before the season starts? Right. That, yeah, no, I mean that's that's you know that's sort of the 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 Marner thing last year. It's like after you signed Tavares, you, you know the, the the Leafs should have pushed to get Marner signed, especially knowing they, that Babcock was going to play Tavares and Marner together. Well, and they may have, right? They may have, right? 
and they, uh, and their camp may have just done what they're doing now anyhow because that's what they were going to do. Right. Now, I have to give both of you credit because you were debating what Scott Lawton was going to get on a new deal, and you, you, hit it, you hit it right on the button. We were talking about uh, other players that were comparables in the, the sort of the mid-twos, and Lawton gets a two-year deal for 2.3. So, uh, 2.3. So, Anthony, when are you becoming an agent in the NHL? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my wife already has debates about how much time I can manage anyway, so maybe it's probably not. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, honestly, what it came down to was the initial part of the deal was the fact we first saw Aaron, uh, uh, no, I'm saying the basketball player, um, Alfalo's, uh, Alex Alfalo's contract um, at 2.45, and I was like, it's a little high. And then, as, as Russ and I, we discussed in the, on our pre on the previous show. Um, I thought that was going to be a little too high for, for Lawton based on a fourth line role. And then, of course, we had, of course, the Joel Armia contract. That's what killed the Flyers. That's what really kind of did it there. Once you have two, once Lawton had two guys to go with and say these two guys, especially Armia, who, and again, the Flyers, again, have that opening technically on the third line right wing. And guess right. who played that position before? Scott Lawton has. And Lekkonen's contract right after that was around the same amount, too. Exactly. So that put things in an area where I basically said, you know what? At this point now, if you – and you, you have Flyer fans say, oh, it's true value. It's 1.75, man. I'm like, whatever. Seriously. You're not, you're, right. not looking at the, you're not looking at the market. If you would have held tight on that, it creates – just a, a ridiculous logjam that you don't need to have when you've got a bigger fish to fry than Scott Law. Remember, Ryan Hartman got 1.9. Exactly. If he's get, it's Ryan Hartman, who's definitely in a fourth-line role, maybe third-line role, but he's got 1.9 million. You're going to tell me Scott Lawton, based on a couple seasons of, of solid numbers, that he's not going to be over $2 million. Well, So targeted are between two – I said on Twitter between 2 to 2.5, and when Russ put the gun in my head, I said, okay, so we'll go right in the middle, 2.3, and that's yeah, where – I had a tweet like that too with a guy because he's like – this one guy was like, he answered me back and he goes, it's definitely not going to be 2.4. And I said, okay, 2.3. <laughs> but it's going to be there, dude. It's going to be in that mid two. You know, it's going to be somewhere in between because in all likelihood, Lawton is targeted as a fourth line, as a fourth line center, probably in this case, which again, 2.3 might be a high form. But again, there is, there is other parts of his utility that he has proven and production-wise, that allowed in this market that allowed him to get two point three. A really good year, he did. I don't think he could play much better than he did. But if he continues yeah, I mean, that way, yeah, that's he's great. Top, yeah, he's a, he's and, probably right now at about top end of what you're going to get in him. Yeah. And on a two-year deal, yeah. there's going to be consternation over this contract, right. especially when you still got younger players in the system. We still need, still need a couple of years yet to go up. And and fans fans have to realize that you know players that have a few years in, in the league, and uh, I'll use Buffalo as an example. Uh, Zemgis Gergensons and Johan Larson were abject failures last year. They were terrible for the Sabres. The, the Sabres' depth uh, at forward was abysmal, and they were re-signed by the Sabres. Gergensons got 1.6 on a one-year, and, uh, and Larson got 1.55. That's the norm. A, a decent third, fourth line guy is going to get between two and two and a half million dollars now. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, and again, and he's, he's, a homegrown, he's a homegrown guy, so that that bodes well for the yeah. fan base. Although he's got his detractors, as many people that posted on my timeline, just as many that were happy that there was that were unhappy. But if you think about it, in the locker room, he's very well respected. He's a likable guy. 
He's good with the media. He's a good guy to have on this team. Bottom line. Um, one other one other signing of a draft pick, and we'll, we'll just bat this around a little bit. Is Mort Sider signing his ELC with the with the Red Wings? Now, Russ, I know that we talked at the combine, and the talk was, you know, who's going to make the NHL in this draft class in year one? And obviously, Kako, and obviously Hughes, and I know that we talked with the you know Julie and a few other people who thought that Sider was the guy that could make the NHL as an 18 year old and Iserman must have thought that when he took him sixth overall, we just won't say it publicly. There's no way. Yeah. He, he's not going to force things. I mean, if he, if, if, if at camp, he did, he looks like he's overwhelmed then they'll, they'll let him, you know, go maybe go play back in Germany or, if, or, or maybe play in Grand Rapids for a year right. and, not, and not rush him along. Um, but I, you know, he's big, he's talented. And if you look at that Detroit blue line, they are ancient. Half of them are over 33 years old, and all of them, their contracts of those veteran guys, Daly, uh, Erickson, and Mike Green, all expire at the end of this year. So it would be beneficial for them to get Cider in there and get some experience while he can. Yeah, I don't, I don't push this on anybody, but based on the setup you just gave and what Cider did in – in Germany was, you know, they basically started him out as a defensive defenseman, right? Right. And he played so well in that role that they were like, all right, we can loosen the reins here a little because we feel like you have some offense. Then the offense came through. And, you know, this is against men, and he had and, – and he ends up winning rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. So even if you went safe with Detroit and said, go back to your defensive defensive role, defenseman role right now to sort of get your feet wet in this league, he already knows how to do that. He just hasn't done it at this level, but I think he can. Right. And I don't think he's got a lot of competition. I agree with that. Yeah. Now, one interesting thing that uh, Elliot Friedman mentioned on 31 Thoughts in connection with Detroit and the Sabres, who we just talked about, was the Ristolainen rumors obviously gaining uh, some traction with the, the, the Sabres having so many right-hand shots. But the Sabres are essentially saying – we need to get, hit a home run here, especially after they got destroyed on the O'Reilly deal. Right. They need to get something tangible and something that can help them immediately in exchange for Ristolainen. And Friedman reported – now, I don't know if it was what he had heard in terms of a rumor, but he said there was a connection between Detroit and Buffalo in re- regards to the Ristolainen. And if you look at the Detroit defense, it makes sense. And that the guy that they would be targeting from Detroit is Anthony Mantha. And if you look at the Sabres, they're weak on the right side and they're weak at second line center. Um, and Mantha would be a top six winger for them. I don't know whether you – know, the one thing is, Russ and Anthony, when Eisenman goes in there, I'm sure he values Dylan Larkin. I'm sure he values the top young players. Not saying Mantha's not a good young player, but he might be more willing to trade that guy since it's not – it's somebody he inherited rather than somebody he drafted or, or somebody who's considered a fr- their franchise player. But it's the same way we, we use the same point with regards to Chuck Fletcher in Philadelphia. Right, too. right. Uh, so it's the same boat. Um, core guys, yeah, you guys that you know, you've seen like a Larkin are going to be lockstep. They're, they're, you know, unless things get all disastrously for Detroit, you wouldn't – you know, and they decide they want to move on, that's a different story. But here at, at this point of the offseason – to me, I could see this trade. I could see Mantha being included. I think he's the only piece that would be involved in the deal. Probably not, because again, you got you're getting a defenseman in in, in Ristolainen. They'd probably get a little more than just that uh, in that circumstance. 
But I could see it. I could definitely see Mantha being involved in a Ristolainen deal. I would never make this deal if I'm Detroit in 100 years. Uh, if we go back to when Mantha was getting ripped by management during a comeback from a broken arm, he still had 17 goals, right? Jimmy D, yep. Yep. Then he had 24, then he had 25. He only played 67 games last year. His shooting percentage through all that has been 12-8, 12-6, 12-6. So this is a guy, and, and trust me, that wrist shot, unless you see it in person, it's something to behold. You, there's no way you should ever make this deal because Detroit's not that set for offensive players, ones that are proven at the NHL level that they could roll the dice on this one. Did you see Buffalo including something else to sweeten the deal? Well, we have to include somebody who could score a little bit at the NHL level, yeah. Mm. They would. Now, who would that entail? You know, obviously – they're not giving up middle stat. If this were part of a bigger deal and somehow Sam Reinhardt were in it, then I could see it happening. Yeah, but that neg that negates the addition of of. Yeah. of, of I, just saying, I just Mantha. If you look at it, he's among their top scorers every year. So now you take him out of that lineup, right? And unless Adina just has an unbelievable bounce back year, it's, which it's, like, a little bit, it's, it's a little bit of a dice roll because you're counting Zadina to be able to. Yeah, yeah. Run. I mean, if, okay. if, if you're Detroit and you're looking for young guys, and I'm not, I'm just, you know, I obviously think No, 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 no. Let me I know. Um, if they're looking for a young a young guy to come back who could be part of the future, then an Olafson might be somebody that the Sabers would include. It would probably have to be a two for two, and and yeah. the Wings would have to throw something on top of that. But that might be the piece that another piece that would make that deal. You know, but the, the right now the Sabers I think are depending on Olafson to be a top nine right winger for them. So. That should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, one note, and we'll take some questions uh, from the chat and, and after this, uh, but to my mind, the most questionable deal of the post-Stanley post Cup up to now was the deal that the Blackhawks and the Canes made where Calvin DeHaan and Sorella were traded for the great package of Anton Forsberg and Gustav Forsling. And I don't have a problem with Forsling. I think he's an okay defenseman. Yeah. There's a report out of Chicago that Forsling is heading for the KHL. That makes this deal so much worse because Forsling looks at Carolina and says, I'm not going to get any opportunity to play here, so he's yeah. going to the K. I mean, Russ, what an absolutely terrible deal by Don Waddell. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Has he – I mean, how many good deals has Don Waddell made? Um, okay, I'm thinking. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did for him, though. Yeah. <laughs> Don Waddell doesn't make great trades. Like, there's no way to, to sugarcoat this. So, I'm locked up. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have any questions in the chat? All right. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh... And while, yeah, Forsling's rights got traded from uh, HK Soshi to Avangard Omsk. So that was, that's, 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 I mean, that's their competitive. Again, if you're going to be competing for a championship, Omsk is going to probably be in the mix. Now. All right. John, John Murphy asks, what kind of term in AAV are you expecting connect me? Honestly, at this point, I think it's going to be like between four and four, two, five for, for two years. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay. I think I'll, I'll, I'll say I think they're going to probably try to up that thing to three, but the cap hit will probably be in a similar range. Okay, four, four or five for three years. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Um, and that would that that would that would that would take him to he would be arbitration eligible RFA after that one year away from being a UFA. Anthony DeMeo asks, it seems like no team is rushing to sign their RFAs. When do you think all this will start moving along? End of August, early September? I think it's gonna be like middle of September. I do yeah, early, early to mid September. Probably in most uh, and, and, and not you know not not that everything is centered around Marner, but there is a there is a feeling that a lot of these that Rantanen and a few others, Matthew Kachuk, are waiting for the Marner deal. That they're waiting to see what the what that the number that is set, and then they would base what they get. We're the dog days now. We are very much you know this is now late you know mid July. It's gonna be a while, I think, in most cases. Yeah. Funky asks, what's the status of Oleo Levy? He had an, an, another injury and a surgery. I know that. Right. I don't know what his status is now this I, moment. I, I think he's going to be healthy for training camp. I mean, that injury yeah. happened early on in the season. So, I, yeah. I, I, I think he will have a chance to make the team if he's fully rehabbed because I think he was close anyhow. Yeah. I went and um, I saw Vancouver's AHL team last year, but Yo Levy had just gotten hurt. So, right. I didn't get to see him last year. But I felt like he was getting better. Look, we, we all know that there, there were other things going on with him. He's a young player. I still think he'll be a really good player for the Canucks, but that's only if he's fully healthy. Yeah. I mean, one, one, one tactic that, uh, that they talked about about uh, Vancouver was sending some of their veteran players down to Utica and burying salary in terms of them opening up yeah. space, which is, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's the threat that they're going to use against Louis Erickson because he's got three years left. At least they would save a million bucks on that cap. And if he, you know, if he doesn't like, I, I, I'm sure he has some no trade or no, uh, no movement provisions in his contract that he, you know, they may want him to loosen up so that he, they can send him someplace else. I just don't know who in their right mind is taking him at three years for 6 million bucks, unless it's Edmonton for Milan Lucic. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Chat room's talking about something about somebody on the NTB players on the NTDP riding coattails. I don't know what player they're talking about. I'd love to know because that team was so talented. It's like I'd like to know who was along for the ride that they don't think was that good. Um, let's see. You know, we could go back and say with with what will Hall's um, you know AAV be on his next deal? And we and we said it. You know, we think it'll be like a you know nine million dollar range, but it won't be Panarin money. And for people who think that like Panarin got overpaid. Are you sure you've seen the best of Panarin yet? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And I know that I know that this is always retrospective analysis, but they they were they were basically saying Panarin had Panarin reportedly was offered McDavid money from Colorado. He was offered a four or five year deal at twelve point five, and he decided to take a little less and go to New York, which. It was consistent with everything that we heard during the season that he wanted to go, you know, New York, Florida, LA, someplace near the water, someplace, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, in the end, that was accurate. And in the end, every, all the talk about Bobrovsky going to Florida was accurate, too. All right. So, Barticus wants to know, what the hell is going on with Jake Gardner? All right. Here's what's going on with Jake Gardner. He's had a back issue. Teams don't want to sign him long term. So somebody's probably trying to get him in like on a two-year, $10 million deal or something, or even a one-year, $8 million deal. That's probably what's being offered to him right now. Right. And, and if, okay, 
Leaf fans who like Jake Gardner, I know that you know that I didn't appreciate Gardner's play as a Leaf because I think defensively he's terrible. Offensively, I think he's gifted. He's a one-way defender. Stop. Give up your hope that Jake Gardner is re-signing with the Leafs. They're keeping their powder dry for Marner. They have all the restricted free agents signed. The only guy left is Marner. I've been told that they're not even going to sign veteran guys to minimum deals, that they're going to sign players to PTOs that they don't have to make a commitment on before training camp. Now that may mean defensemen, you know, I, I don't know if Dan Girardi is going to be one of those guys, but you know, we'll have a game tomorrow talking about like a PTO one year contract or nada, but, um, but they're good. That's the direction they're going to go. They're not going to allocate one more dollar towards anybody until they get Mitch Marner signed. Now, if Gardner's still unsigned in September after Marner is signed and they have cap space, then the Leafs might go and say, yeah, we'll give you a one-year contract, but there's going to be somebody to sign Gardner for two or three years for a big salary. So, yeah, I, think so. I think you're right about that. Um, Esmir asks, what's my opinion on defensive prospect Riley Walsh? Riley Walsh is terrific. He, I watched him in the Beanpot Constellation game. Uh, basically, he had two assists. I'm reading off my own report. I put that his passing was pro quality. Like This guy is a tremendous player. He was a plus three. I mean, he he had three game-winning goals this season. Like, when he's ready, this guy will be something for the Devils. Like, he, he I believe he's a top-four guy. So, this is a guy that, <coughs> that the Devils probably after this year need to make sure they sign. Okay. Well, any, any more questions? Yeah, hold on, probably. Uh, we'll, do one, we'll do one or two more and then call it a day. Let's see. Oh, just uh, uh, off the hockey page, um, and, and I'm not the mon a monstrous boxing fan, but I was I was shocked by Pernell Sweet Pea Whitaker getting yeah. somebody. I, I guess it sounded like he was uh, he was not in a car. He was hit by a car. Yeah, it sounded like he was a pedestrian that got hit by a car. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, I mean, I, I think he was in his early mid forties at the, at the oldest. I mean, he wasn't that old. No, I, thought, I, thought it, I thought it said around 50. I'm not sure though. Okay. But you know, it was very sad. I mean, that, yeah, know, he was I, a great boxer. I remember watching him fight and I thought he was oh, yeah. a defensive fighter. He was just, yeah. a, you just couldn't solve him. He was like a riddle in the ring that you couldn't solve. If you were the yeah. Opponent. He won fighter of the year one year. Yeah. As Jan had pointed out on my Facebook page, you know, Olympic gold medals, championships, he, he had it all. Um, Hunter asks, what teams do we think still have the biggest moves to make outside of RFAs? Like, I thought Montreal was done and they weren't done. I guess somebody will do a Jake Gardner move. Like, there's still a few moves to be made. I'm just not sure what teams are sort of going to do it. I think it's going to just, to be honest, I don't think it's going to come down to a team's plan. I think it's going to come down to like these players settling on deals to go where they want to go. Right. I mean, look at this right now. Colorado and Winnipeg have the most money. They have over $20 million in cap space, but both of them have big RFAs to sign. Uh, Winnipeg, obviously, with Line A and Connor, uh, Colorado with, uh, with Rantanen. So they're, you know, they're probably not going out and doing anything extravagant until they get those deals done. That probably locks them up. New Jersey's a budget team. Uh, they're a little under, a little under twenty million. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think they're say they're keeping their money so they can sign the guys that we talked about. 
Uh, now that will be to, on next year's cap, but that's still they're, they're, they're budgeting for things going forward. Obviously, Columbus was willing to spend money on a Marner deal because everybody left Columbus. Right. Nobody stayed. Now, maybe Yarmo Kekalainen is, is sniffing around for on other RFAs. That's very possible. But again, I think the problem is it's, and I'm not slamming Columbus, but it's Columbus. People want to go to Florida or New York, right. or LA. They don't want to go to Central Ohio. Well, I got to tell you, if Columbus were to sign Jake Gardner, that would put a lot of pressure on Warensky's camp right away. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. You know, if they did something like that, that could uh, have some ripple effect. Fast out said that you could roast marshmallows on Mike Gagello's hot take. Mike, do you have a, a response for that? A uh, retort? I don't like s'mores. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm diabetic, so I don't like. Smoke. Oh well, that's a legit reason, of course. So, yeah. I think s'mores are okay. I think they're overrated. That's just me. Well, they're just funny outside. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, hold on, Pete. Nope. Do I think Bowen Bo Byram can play his rookie year in Colorado? I don't. I think he needs to bulk up a little bit. I think let him go back. Don't worry about Bowen Byram playing in Colorado this year. Colorado's got enough guys. Um, and then one more. John Murphy says Brat and Walsh. So far, Risco Russ, New Jersey and Buffalo. Oh, I see. Uh, for a deal, uh, Jesper Brad and, and Walsh and Riley Walsh, they would be the rights for Riley Walsh. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that's enough. I don't think it's probably, yeah, it's probably not enough because Brad had a really good first year last year. He leveled off, he's a good penalty killer. He's really like a 25-point guy. So yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at a top four defenseman right-handed yeah. who's under contract for three more years at 5.4. The Sabres are looking for an, a, an established top six forward, either a second-line center or a first or second-line winger for Ristolainen. And if they don't get it, they'll keep him. So that's, that's what's gonna, that is what, it's, what it is. All right. Uh, we will talk tomorrow about uh, Russ's dad changing his affiliation from the Mets to the Phillies. That was that was a painful moment yesterday. <laughs> I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss that tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. And other things. We may have Peter Tessier back eventually. We'll have Eklund back. I think he'll be back this week at some point. Uh, we should say this. We didn't mention the um, the Federer match against Jokovic. It was the longest men's singles match ever. And boy, that was unbelievable. I. I was watching it at the house. We went out to eat, and that's when my dad dropped the bomb while we were out eating. And it still was going on when I got home. Like, that match was never going to end. It was just a thing of beauty. It was. Nothing is better than McEnroe Borg, the five set. Uh, this was better. Okay. I've seen them both. This was better. Well, th thank you, Anthony Mangione. Thank you, Russ Cohen. Uh, we will be back tomorrow for another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.